0: A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave.
1: Let me take a sip of my freshly brewed coffee. Mmm... Mm. Contains caffeine. Just a matter of time before the enemies of pleasure come after our coffee. They're coming after. They have come after our cigars. They have come after our meat. They're coming after now our toast. Our burnt toast. I kid you not. I will get to that a little bit later on. Second hour will be joined by Glenn Loop the executive director of the CRA, the Cigar Rights of America. will talk to Glenn at length about his background with CRA and how he got into cigars and also the fight that they are waging. We are all waging against the FDA, the enemies of pleasure, state governments, local governments. It just does not end. long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long-Ash snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Your global five-star commanding general and Alpha Male-in-Chief, front and center today, from my very luxurious and comfortable Command Center Alpha and Humidor 1A in the Cigar City of Tampa. And I can guarantee you, Bernard Sanders, who announced he's going to be running for the president, he would come into my office and say... General, you are living like a billionaire, a zillionaire, a gazillionaire. You got a very comfortable leather chair. You got a leather ottoman. You got a beautiful, beautiful large glass desk that looks like a giant wig. You've got six high definition televisions. While the average American only may have two televisions, you, General, have six televisions. You got a massive humidor. You got a massive bar. You got a harem filled with 32 women. As a socialist, I believe you should share the wealth. If you saw my wife, Jade, she's a cow, a lot of cows in Vermont. If you saw the wife, you'd realize you should share your wealth of the harem with me, Bernard Sanders. I am going to have a field day over the next two years imitating Bernard Sanders because Uh, Just now, to get into character with Bernard Sanders, I'm disheveling my head. I just put some Johnson baby powder all over my head to get it nice and white. I look a little disheveled, like an unmade bed. I'm talking like I'm from Brooklyn, even though I live in Vermont and I represent Vermont. I'm slouched over. this This is going to be what we call in the broadcasting business, radio gold for the next two years. Oh, do I have some great Bernard Sanders bits. That I will get to. You may may have to pull over. You may have to, because I'm telling you, you will be rolling over uh, hysterically. Because I got some great ones. I got one Bernard Sanders bit that I'm going to produce in the next couple of weeks that I've been thinking about for a while. He went after Howard Schultz, the billionaire CEO. Well, he's no longer CEO, but large shareholder who essentially took Starbucks from, I think, one or two stores to the behemoth that it is worldwide. And I got a kick out of Bernard Sanders saying, nobody would be talking about Howard Schultz. Nobody would know who Howard Schultz is. He has not been in politics. Nobody would be talking about Howard Schultz unless he was a billionaire and buying his way to getting all this publicity. And I love Howard Schultz's retort. He said, Bernie Sanders and I both came from Brooklyn, pretty much the same area from very modest beginnings. And yet, Howard Schultz becomes a billionaire. And what is Bernard Sanders? He's a socialist. He's on the public dole, but yet Mr. Bernard Sanders, Mr. Socialist, has the wealth to have three homes. Sergeant Steve, how many homes do you have? I have one. I have seven. I have uh, one in the Cigar City of Tampa. I have one over in Tuscany, one in Beverly Hills, one in Hong Kong. No, actually, I don't, but it sounds good, doesn't it, to say you have multiple homes around the world. I have one. But meanwhile, Bernard Sanders, Mr. Socialist, share the wealth, has three. So I always get a kick out of these uh, hypocritical, disingenuous guys. And they did find some audio, and we'll, we'll play that the next few weeks, about from 30 years ago, where he says, Fidel Castro is a brilliant man. He's a, he's a beautiful man. What he has done with great health care in Cuba and revolutionized things. People People in Cuba just are happy. They're thrilled. Really? Not so much, Bernard. We'll get to that later. All right, good news. Back in June 2017, I conducted SAM 111, Special Alpha Mission 111, and went to Austin, Texas, traveled to Austin, Texas, the capital of the great state of Texas. Don't mess with Texas. And I had the privilege of spending half a day with Richard Overton, who at the time and until his death was the oldest living veteran in the United States. I believe he was probably the oldest living man at the time. He passed away December 27, 2018 at 112 years of age. And I had a wonderful time bringing cigars to him. We smoked cigars. We conducted a great uh, video interview, audio interview. It's at CigarDave.com. He was a great guy. He really was. He served this country honorably in World War II. Some great stories. Renowned. People would come from all across the country to pay a visit to Richard Overton. You'd pass by his house on Richard Overton Way. People, no matter young, old, middle-aged, made no difference. Thanks for your service, Mr. Overton. Happy birthday, Mr. Overton. Hi, Mr. Overton. On their bikes, walking, in their cars. Phenomenal, phenomenal gentleman. Real treat, real honor for me. Texas Representative Cheryl Cole has filed a bill in the Texas legislature to dedicate a portion of Airport Boulevard in Austin, the portion of State Loop 111, otherwise known as Airport 111, between Interstate 35 and U.S. 183 to be designated as the Richard Overton Memorial Highway. Oldest verified surviving U.S. World War II veteran. Oldest man in the United States at the time. He was born in Bastrop, Texas, 1906. Served in the Army, World War II, three years in the Pacific Theater of Operations. And he always said, I credit two things to my longevity. Cigars, and I think he had about 10, 12, 15 cigars a day. And his father told him, You put a little teaspoon or tablespoon of whiskey in your coffee every morning, keeps your muscles nice and loose, keeps everything limber. It's good for you. Not going to hurt you. Well, it sure as hell worked for Richard Overton. So I think that is a fantastic idea to pay tribute to the memory of Richard Overton. And next time I visit Austin, Texas, and I leave the airport on Airport Boulevard, I hope that I am traveling on Richard Overton Memorial Highway. And if I do, you can be sure... I will take a picture, and we will share that. The enemies of pleasure, they have been after us, whether it is our cigars, our spirits, our meat. coming after our coffee and caffeine. I said, mark it down. It's just a matter of time. They are coming after every product we enjoy that we have been enjoying for years and years, and they're doing it under the name of climate change. We cannot sustain having a society that eats carnivorously, that eats meat because it just takes so many resources and it's con- it's contributing to the emissions and it's contributing to global warming or change of climate change, you name it, they come up with a BS excuse. We heard Cory Booker, Spartacus, did a master thespian piece on him last week. We must change how we're eating or the earth is going to just go, it's going to be obliterated. I personally made the change. I, Spartacus, made that change about 10 years ago and I've never felt better. I just love eating tofurkey. It's fabulous. Again, I had my Spartacus moment on more than one occasion when I decided I am going to be a vegan. It's just totally revolutionized me. That's my Cory Booker impression. If I'm wrong, correct me. And if you've got a good Cory Booker impersonation, by all means, send it to us. Share it with us. Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com. Actually, you can go right on the Cigar Dave mobile app. There is a button that you press, and you can actually share up to a minute uh, audio message with us. And we will listen to it, and if it's good, we'll play it. But that is my Cory Booker impression. Spartacus. It's just fantastic. You should see my girlfriend. She is gorgeous. Of course, we've never shown her because he's just a figment of my imagination. But I'm telling you, when I run for president, now that I am running for president, I have to have a girlfriend. Right, Cory, sure you do, Spartacus. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Whatever persuasion you want, it's fine with me. Just let me have my harem, live in peace. But now we're seeing the enemies of pleasure come to a different element on the food chain. They're coming after our burnt toast. The enemies of pleasure have a new division. It is the Toast Patrol. Researchers at the University of Texas at Austin, and I'd love to see the science behind this study, found that burnt toast was especially harmful, and the safest way to go was to go for the gold, allowing the bread to turn a light gold color. Burnt toast, they say, can expose people to more pollution and if they were standing at a busy road junction, baloney, what a load of poppycock, are you telling me that if I stand on a busy downtown street corner where the emissions from those diesel fuel buses are exposed into the air, that I'm going to be more harmed than if I burn my toast and smell, take a whiff of that lovely aroma of the burnt toast, not buying it. The team of experts, this is what they did, they built a mock-up of a three-bedroom house, equipped it with monitors to assess how everyday activities impacted air quality. Roasted and frying can also prove to be toxic. Toxic. So uh, basically, if you want to fry your chicken or you want to fry your french fries or you want to roast a turkey, you want to roast a chicken, it's now toxic. How, here's my question. If that's the case, how come people that have eaten burnt toast for probably 50 years, 70 years of their lives, how come they're all not dropping dead instantly if supposedly the air quality is so bad? They found that the burnt toast sent toxic particles into the air the moment they're switched on from the toaster. According to one of the researchers quoted in the American Association for the Advancement of Science, When you make toast, the heating element in the toaster starts warming up the debris and gunk in the toaster, which includes oils. They found ethanol, a byproduct of yeast, that was emitted. They said if there's a tiny piece of bread touching the heating element, you can see the smoke maybe from crumbs at the bottom of the toaster. They will all make a lot of particles, and they said it's very unhealthy air pollution levels compared to outdoor air quality standards. Well, if you have a toaster, And you don't clean out your toaster on a regular basis. You know, that's why they have on most of those toasters, there's like a little drawer on the bottom, a a little metal drawer. You open it up, you take it out, and you basically dump all those particles and you dump all the debris in your garbage. Now, for those of you that don't, okay, do you think I'm, do I think you're probably gonna drop dead tomorrow because you inhale that? I doubt it. Once again, These are these supposed studies, and I'd love to see the research behind it. Are they talking about thousands of people they tested? Is this anecdotal? They say it may have a lot of bad uh, toxic air particles, but does it have effect on somebody's health? Probably not. Probably not. But the researchers found that when bread was turned golden brown, particle concentrations in the surrounding air surged to between 300 and 400 micrograms per cubic meter. When toast was allowed to turn brown, get burnt, the particle levels soared to three to four thousand micrograms per cubic meter, more than 150 times the World Health Organization limit. Again, I go back to this simple point. There are loads of people that have lived in homes who have that, that have eaten their toast burnt and charred. And I am one of them. Sergeant Steve. I don't eat toast, but when you see me and the rare occasion, I get a bagel. I hollow it out, and how do I request it? Miss Cate always prepares it triple toasted, charred. Pittsburgh style, pretty much. Essentially, we want it yes. burnt. I want it crispy, and I hollow out the bagel. I don't need the inside bread. I just love the crunchiness. And I, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've gone to, whether it's a, a, a Panera Bread or Einstein Bagel or another bagel joint, and I tell them I want it triple or quadruple toasted. And they say, well, it'll get burned. I'm like, exactly. So then they do it once. And I'm like, that's not how I want it. Go back again. And I'll tell them to do it three, four times. So they don't believe you. But that's how I like it. And then a little smear of cream cheese on there, and you are good to go. I do not want toast or my bagel just barely toasted. I want it charred. That's how I like my steaks. That's how I'm going to eat my bagel or how I'm going my scooped-out bagel or toast in the rare occasion that I have toast. But again, it seems that these enemies of pleasure, the food police, their sole existence is to obliterate every single food product that we consume and enjoy. Here's my response and my retort to them. If you're worried about the air particles in your own home. Don't don't uh, toast your bagel. Don't toast your bread. Simple. But don't tell me in my own home that I can't or shouldn't toast my bread, toast my bagel, fry my turkey. And with an electric fryer, you can do it indoors. I've got the, elect- the big butterball XXL. I prefer to do it outside, even though it is approved inside under the right conditions. But they just can't help themselves. They're coming after our steaks. They're coming after our cigars. They're coming after our coffee. They're coming after our food. Now they're coming after our toast. And I say, forget it. Enough is enough. Barack Hussein Obama, 44th President of the United States, retired. Thankfully, he is retired. He was attending a My Brother's Keeper conference in Oakland where he was on a panel, I guess a featured speaker with uh, NBA player Steph Curry, who organized this uh, conference in Oakland. And they got into the discussion, again, specifically geared towards black men, black boys, talking about their responsibilities, talking about uh, one of the things Barack Obama said to them was, Hey, look. You don't need twerking women or big chains to make women happy. You don't have to have an eight-pound chain around your neck. You don't have to have, you know, eight women twerking. Oh, I, don't, I can't listen. If you have eight hot women twerking or you have a little harem, I can't go after the guys for that. I can't go after those kids for that. If they've got a harem from a young age, can we really criticize them? But the chains and the baggy pants and everything else I agree with and I totally understand what he is saying. And he emphasized the importance of education, which is right. He emphasized the fact that we need more male mentors, fathers that are particip- uh, participate in their kids' upbringing. He's right on that. But one of the things that he brought up was talking about the difference between men and women. And I want to play this soundbite for you because he compares and contrasts how when he gets together with his guys, they're watching a game, and when Michelle... His wife gets together with their girls, how they are different. Now, there is definitely a difference between sexes. That's okay. But I want you to listen to the soundbite, and I've got a very important point that I'm going to make up as it pertains to those of us alpha males that are also cigar connoisseurs. A very important point that I will make. This soundbite runs about a minute and a half, but pay very close attention.
2: When me and my boys get together, we'll watch a game or we'll play a game. And sometimes we'll sit there for an hour, and we won't say nothing, but we're watching the game, and then we'll go play a game and afterwards Michelle will ask, well, you know like how's Steph doing uh, you know uh I heard you know uh you know he you know had this issue, and I was like, oh really i, I didn't know because we we're <laughs> we we're watching the game you know well you were you were with him all day what no, i, mean, I I didn't know. We didn't talk about that, right? Michelle, she will get with her girlfriends, and, and they'll show up at noon, and they'll be sitting there, and they're talking. I'll leave. Come back three hours later. They are still talking. <laughs> All they've been doing is talking the entire time about every piece of business they got, <laughs> right? And, you know, they've cried, they've like, you know, oh, a child, you should have seen he was, they've broken down every terrible thing that I did. and. You know, but he's worth keeping anyway, even though he's not. Uh, so they've, they've broken it all down. That's a difference.
1: Now, that was humorous, and Barack Obama is right. There is a big difference between men and women. Now, he talks about women. They do talk about everything. You're exactly right. For three hours, they'll talk about everything. They'll talk about Relationships and what the you know man on a date bought and Valentine's Day and oh that 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 uh, mink stole looks great on you or oh I love that eyeshadow they'll go on and on and on and on and on that's what dames do. But I have to dive, uh, disagree with Obama where he says guys will just sit there and we'll just watch the game and not talk. Maybe his buddies don't talk. Maybe he doesn't. But to those of us that are alpha males and cigar connoisseurs, we communicate, we bond, we converse over our cigars, even while watching the game. Now, we certainly aren't going to talk incessantly like dames do, because yes, we are watching the game. But I would tell you, now Barack Obama is a cigarette smoker. He still is a cigarette smoker. They do not have, cigarette sm- male cigarette smokers don't have the same type of connection and bond that we cigar connoisseurs do. When we get together, and I don't care, pick any cigar retailer, tobacconist, cigar lounge, cigar bar in the country, or any place where two, three, four, five, ten cigar connoisseurs get together, we will converse. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about dames. We will talk about sports. We will talk about the news of the day. We'll talk about a whole series, a range of things. Yes, while we're watching sports, we may not converse as much, but he is failing, and this is a very important point. We as cigar connoisseurs, we communicate. The best social media that has ever been invented before Twitter, before Facebook, before the internet, having a cigar and talking amongst your alpha male buddies.
0: The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. This cigar from Drew Estate has a floral and earthy Brazilian Matafina Maduro wrapper that surrounds a sweet Connecticut broadleaf binder and lush Nicaraguan fillers that together produce a full-flavored, exquisite experience. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club. an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the General to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers.
1: Well, I have pulled out a luscious cigar from my vast humidor here at Command Center Alpha. I pulled out the Nat Sherman Sterling, or as Mick the Brit would say, Sterling General, just Sterling, Sterling Performance. Beautiful looking cigar made down in the Dominican Republic by Matasa, Manuel Casada, and his great crew. And just a luscious cigar to look at. The aroma, before I even light this cigar, is fantastic. This is adorned in an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper with a Dominican binder, Dominican filler aged up to 10 years. Just a very, very nice looking cigar. And I've had uh, this numerous times. Very sweet, very uh, just mild, very pleasant, but very flavorful. Sterling is just a perfect name for this Nat Sherman. Of course, Nat Sherman, tobacconist to the world. Very famous tobacconist up in New York in Midtown Manhattan. And this particular cigar that I pulled out, I've got a very nice size on here. This is a four by 40, four inches in length with a 40 inch ring gauge. So this is definitely on the smaller side, very unusual for me because normally I will have a cigar that's going to be on the bigger side, but I decided, you know what? Let me try something on the smaller side. This is a great walk the dog cigar. You want to have a cigar, but you don't have an hour, a half hour. This is a great 10, 15, 20 minute cigar. Very, very pleasant. So, four inches in length, 40, uh, uh, 64ths of an inch in diameter. So, it is just over half an inch. Nice cigar. It's going to run you about four or five bucks for this particular cigar. Very unique size. Love the band. Got a sterling silver background, Nat Sherman printed, embossed in black. Very nice cigar. That is what I will enjoy today.
0: Cigar-altering and highly-sharpened leaf-exposing device.
1: Self-sharpening, double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go.
0: Ma- ma- Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus.
1: Right. I've got my Mala Litation device, Make America Lightate again, from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories. I've used this uh, numerous times. Still a prototype, still in development. Just filled a gigantic butane tank. Listen to that flame. Listen to that. Fantas- like a blowtorch. That's what I'll use today to light this beautiful Nat Sherman
0: Sterling. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut.
1: Man, this uh, self sharpening double edged stainless steel guillotine is magnificent. Now we toast the foot of the cigar. And by the way, this has a secondary band on it at the foot that says Sterling. I will remove that. We don't want to light the band. Not pleasant. Listen to that flame. And again, I've got the cigar at about a 45 degree angle. I've got the flame not touching. Heat is going to cause combustion. Oh, just beautiful. This is magnificent. Oh, yeah. Just turning to get the wrapper toasted first. We want the wrapper lit first. Then we will toast the filler and the binder, okay? And taking my time, now I shall puff and rotate slowly. Again, the flame never touches the foot of the cigar. We want heat to cause combustion. We don't want to burn the cigar, okay? Mm. Nice sweet notes right off the bat, and very creamy. Mm. Little notes of uh, cocoa. Mm. Not a big ring gauge size cigar. So we don't need a ton of time to get this properly toasted and lit. Let me take a few more puffs. Mm. That is very nice. I like it. Nice size, much smaller than I normally smoke, but why not? Now, I need a special libation that will go nicely with this. And I have selected a very special beer, and I will tell you about that beer in just one moment.
0: Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst quenching libationary maneuvers.
1: All right, I've just pulled out a bottle of dog fish head from Delaware, a nice boutique craft brewer down in uh, the Delaware shore. I have just pulled out their Pennsylvania Tuxedo, a pale ale that is brewed with Pennsylvania spruce tips. Let me open it first, and I'll tell you about this. Okay. There we go. I do not have the greatest bottle opener. There we go. All right. Now I'm going to pour this in the glass. 45-degree angle. Nice head, not too foamy. Wow, beautiful aroma. So I'm reading in the Wall Street Journal two days ago under their libation section. They actually have a libation section. And the headline reads, The Taste of Winter Brewed and Bottled. Why beers made with tree bark. Sap and needles are what we want to drink right now. Well, I got very curious. Now, before I tell you about this, let me say cheers, take a sip mmm this is nice spruce infused pale ale the Pennsylvania tuxedo by Dogfish Head is brewed in collaboration with Woolrich the jacket manufacturer I have a Woolrich jacket green jacket warden college I still have it today it just lasts forever it's got a nice little grassy citrus kick with some spruce tips They went into the forests of north-central Pennsylvania and Georgetown, Delaware, to pick these fresh tips. The the, the fresh tips, and they actually put it in the brew when they were fermenting the brew. And it's got a very unique taste to it. Now, high alcohol by volume content, 8.5%. For a beer that's high, it is a pale ale, so it's going to be slightly bittery. It's got 50 on the IBU, the international bitterness unit scale now a sweet beer for example if we look at a lager that may be an 8 to 12 15 on I on the IBU scale an IPA is normally going to be or a, or a pale ale is going to be 30 to 50 even 60 this was originally released November 2014 it is a pale ale a copper color to this very grassy citrus notes take another taste mm. It's got some bitterness to it, a little dryness to it as well. You get the hoppy notes on the palate, but some of that fresh green spruce tip as well. Hard to describe, but tasty. Mm. Nice. So in this article, they talk about every season has its scents. S-C-E-N-T-S has its scents or their sense. And when you think about winter, you think about a forest. A brisk whiff of a forest. And they go on to describe new crops of beers that are infused with tree essences to deliver woodsy aromas and rich flavors ideal for the cold winter months. And they say brewing with trees actually has deep roots. Without the balancing bite of hops or other herbs, a brew is sickly sweet. Minus the preservative effects of bitter oils, it can go sour fast. Now, when you think about hops, why were hops initially put into beers? Well, not only just for the taste, but when we look at an India pale ale, very, very hoppy. That was a preservative, acted as a preservative. For example, in Hop Baron Finland, Juniper has stood in for hops in a brew called Sati for many centuries. So they go on to talk about a number of different brewers and breweries that are making some very unique beers. They talk about the Scratch Brewing Company in Southern Illinois that makes a sap series, which is brewed with saps of walnut, birch, and maple, as well as hickory. They talk about Ballast Point Brewing, where they take some spruce needle tea brewed by an employee's aunt. That was the initial inspiration. And they're using some of those spruce tips for their Ballast Point Sculpin IPA, not as a replacement for hops, but as a compliment. Same thing with this dogfish head Pennsylvania tuxedo. They're brewing it with exotic woods such as South American Palo Santo, but they also have the uh, the needles of the various trees, the uh, spruce tips that they're putting into this. Nota Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, turned to maple syrup. So every one of these unique brewers are making a winter type of blend. So looking at this, I said, I gotta get, let's see what I can pick up. Well, the only thing I could find in Tampa, and it was not easy yesterday, was the Dogfish Head Pennsylvania Tuxedo. Again, a very, very nice, pleasant beer. Got some hoppiness to it. Definitely has some IBU kick to it, uh, International Bitterness Units. Mm. Maybe it's a tad bit too full to go with this Nat Sherman Sterling. But nonetheless, still very tasty. So if you have a chance, and you can find some of these winter editions, the Upslope Spruce Tip IPA, the Noda Hopcakes, the Dogfish Head Pennsylvania Tuxedo, the Ballast Point Spruce Tip Sculpin, the Scratch Sap Series Maple, the Second Self June IPA, give it a try. Very unique flavor uh, combinations with the essence of the winter Months. When we come back, I want to talk about two people Jim Beheim and Robert Kraft. Kind of a unfortunate week on both cases, both different specific cases, but I do want to bring that up. Specifically, I'm going to talk about Jim Beheim because uh, it's amazing what can happen. Literally a minute can change your life. And with Robert Kraft, the nonsense, the ridiculousness, of why today prostitution is still illegal, with the exception of certain parts of Nevada. You can smoke pot today legally, have all the marijuana you want legally, but if you want to have a dame, you need a little stress relief, a massage with a happy ending, you're going to the clink.
4: Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org.
1: Members of the Cigar Dave Officers Club receive fabulous cigars every month. And the February selection is another award winner. We're featuring the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro made by Drew Estate. Drew Estate master blender Willie Herrera has always been a big fan of Brazilian Matafina tobacco. Loves the velvety and the earthy complexity of it, just the taste. While it's primarily been used as a binder or accent filler, Willie said, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to make the Brazilian rapper the star of the show. He surrounded it with a Connecticut broadleaf binder, nice sweetness to it, lush Nicaraguan fillers, and the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro was born, a full-flavored, exquisite taste profile. Become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Twenty-two ninety-five per month will get you great cigars like the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. Go to Cigardave.com now and join the Officers Club. Proudly living the Alpha Male lifestyle. Proudly preaching the alpha male good life maneuvers lifestyle, and that includes cigars, spirits, delicacies, dames. We will get to a story about dames momentarily. But first, I want to tell you about the February 2019 Officers Club selection, the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. It is a beauty a stunner of a cigar created by Drew Estate Master Blender Willie Herrera. He took Brazilian Matafina Tobaccos, a lovely tobacco, just great sweetness, great taste, great complexion to it, and he decided he was going to create a cigar around the Brazilian Matafina, wrapper, or Brazilian Matafina tobacco, make it the wrapper, and the wrapper surrounds a Connecticut USA Broadleaf binder, so you're going to have some sweetness there, and some various Nicaraguan fillers. It is indeed a luscious, beautiful cigar, floral, earthy, full flavors, exquisite taste experience. If you are a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, your shipment has gone out. Should have it sometime beginning to middle of next week, maybe later next week, depending on where you reside, Hawaii or Alaska. It may take a little longer. If you are not a member of the Officers Club, go to CigarDave.com right now join up 22.95 per month you will get fabulous cigars each and every month a nice variety sometimes they're mild sometimes they're full sometimes they're medium sometimes they have connecticut wrapper sometimes they have brazilian wrapper sometimes they have nicaraguan sometimes they have cameroon it really is a great way to expand your palate, so go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join today, and enjoy some of these great cigars every month, like the Herrera Esteli Brilliant Brazilian Maduro, our February 2019 selection. By now, you've heard the news. Jim Beheim was, after the big upset win over Louisville on Thursday night, to watched that game. It was a fantastic game. He... Uh, Went out, as he always does, left the Carrier Dome. Went to dinner at Joey's, a well-known restaurant in Carrier Circle, a little bit north of Syracuse and the campus, probably about 10 minutes north. And he decided, didn't I have anything to drink? Leaves, snowy, a little bit icy on the roads. He's driving on Interstate 690. And ahead of him, there is a car. It's three-lane highway. There is a car that hit the left guard rail spun around apparently and uh, ended up perpendicular to the lanes of the highway, of the interstate. So essentially it was blocking the left two lanes and there were four occupants in the vehicle. Apparently they decided to, well obviously they got out of the car, they were walking against the shoulder, Well, when you come up and all of a sudden you're on a highway and all of a sudden you see a car straight ahead of you that's perpendicular, Beheim swerved around and apparently, one of the men was walking, drifting into the lane, and he was hit. Jim Beheim immediately stopped. Police were called, stayed at the scene. A breathalyzer was done on both drivers of both Jim Beheim as well as the driver of the other car. Uh, Jim Beheim registered 0.00, and apparently, that was the same situation with the other driver. So, no alcohol involved. This is a tragically, the man dies. Jim Beheim goes down to the police station, very cooperative, releases a statement saying, you know, he's heartbroken. Talked to the players at practice two days ago, but did not attend practice. Just was announced yesterday that he will coach the game against Duke tonight at the Carrier Dome. This could have happened to any one of us. It is amazing. Somebody once told me one minute can change your life. Now think about this. Jim Beheim. if somebody would have stopped him, just to talk and say, hey Jim, great job, and he would have been delayed for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, that changes his life. If Jim Beheim would have left two, three minutes earlier, 30 seconds earlier, that could have changed his life. There was no way of knowing that what was going to happen, couldn't predict that. It is almost a one in a million type of situation that occurred. Now. Again, we don't know what the other drivers. There's going to be a full autopsy done on the deceased individual. Have no clue whether there were any any out whether alcohol drugs involved. Don't know on that point. It's tragedy any way you look at it. Could have happened to any one of us, and this will live with Jib Beheim forever. I heard some sportscasters two days ago, Dan Lebitard specifically of ESPN, say, "Oh, that he was drunk. There's alcohol involved." What have we learned about anything in the last umpteen incidents that have, that have occurred? Whether the, the uh, Jussie Smollett case, whether it was uh, what happened in Washington with that, uh, the kid that was wearing the MAGA hat, it's do not make rash judgments. Well, what did some people in the media do? That's exactly what they did. ESPN has canceled their College Dame Day broadcast And it's going to be a tough look. Any way you look at it, it's going to be a tough situation. Not Jim Beheim's fault in any way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, he is a victim, too. Again, guys ahead crash. We don't know how fast they were going. I'm way reserving judgment. Once I have that, then we'll see. If the guys were speeding and they crashed, that's certainly a factor. If they weren't, they hit ice. It's one of those things. But certainly tragedy any way you look at it. Now, let's talk about... Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots. And for this, we take you to uh, Orient for a very, very uh, special oriental massage. For love you long time, stress relaxation maneuvers. I know somebody's going to say, you can't call people from the Orient Orientals anymore. They're Asians. I call them Orientals. That's how they've been known, because they're from the Orient for hundreds of years. And if you are offended, Good. If I'm politically incorrect, good. Do I care? Hell to the no. Bob Kraft, by now, as you've heard, was charged yesterday two counts of soliciting prostitution in connection to a recent law enforcement bust on massage parlors in Palm Beach and, I guess, in Martin County on the east coast of Florida. Now, here's the thing. Apparently, there's video evidence of Kraft involving Involved in sex acts in a massage parlor on two occasions. At the Orchids of Asia Spa in Jupiter. Do I care? Should anybody care? Who gives a damn? Why on earth is prostitution in this day and age not legal? You can go and smoke a joint. Smoke five joints legally. But God forbid a man wants to get some stress relief. Or for that matter a woman. Women You remember Fred Garvin, male prostitute, on Saturday Night Live? Ma'am, I'm Fred Garvin, male prostitute. Who cares? He wanted to get some stress relief. Wanted a massage. It is absurd that in 2019, prostitution is illegal. Yet, have all the marijuana joints you desire. It is absurd. And I tell people always... It is always cheaper to lease than to buy, especially if you don't have a prenuptial agreement. So let's wait for all the facts to come out. He came back. His uh, spokespeople came out yesterday and said he categorically denies that Mr. Kraft engaged in any legal activity because it's a judicial matter. They will not be commenting further. Who cares? The man wanted some stress relief. He wanted a happy ending. Is there anything wrong with that? The only thing wrong with that, in the 21st century, it's not legal. Let's grow up, people. It should be legal. Who the hell cares? Hour two of the Cigar Dave Show. Glenn Loop of the Cigar Rights of America, our guest next.
0: This is AMEN, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network.
1: I was just thinking before I introduce our guests for this hour, what paradise would be if we lived in a country that did not have enemies of pleasure, that didn't interfere with our rights to enjoy cigars, that didn't interfere on taxation, that didn't interfere with cigar manufacturers in a product that is consumed by legal adults, smart adults, wouldn't it be paradise if we didn't have excessive taxation, not only on our income, but on our cigars and our spirits and on other pleasure activities we as alphas enjoy? And wouldn't be, would it be paradise if there wasn't a Democrat or a socialist to be found? Life would be not only good, it would be magnificent. Welcome back. Hour number two. Ah, there's some of you Democrats that are great. Not many, but there's a few of you. Although it seems to be the Democrat Party has been taken over by the socialists. Good luck with that. We do not believe in socialism, and we don't believe in excessive regulation over our cigars, our spirits, and our delicacies. We are adults. When I started this show just about uh, 24 years ago, July of 1995, we could enjoy our cigars at restaurants and bars. There wasn't excessive taxation. We didn't have the enemies of pleasure and government saying we got to raise the smoking purchase age from 18 to 21 to 100. We didn't have that. I sat down. We talked about cigars and alpha male pleasure maneuvers. We weren't harassed. Cigar manufacturers weren't harassed. And over the last 24 years, we saw the encroachment begin of our rights and our liberties. And it really started to get bad about uh, 15 years ago when all of a sudden the enemies of pleasure said, okay, smoking bans have been so great for in, in, uh, inside buildings and restaurants that now we want to take it outside. That's when it all began. And then we started to see the excessive taxation with the bull chip tax, or the S-chip tax as I say as I said, where they raised the tax, they capped it, but it was still a 53% tax with a cap of $0.50 per cigar. Huge increase. And then we've just seen all these encroachments, and the FDA now making cigar manufacturers register their products, and now they want testing, and now they want a user fee, which is a tax. It hasn't ended. And about, I want to say, maybe it's been 10 years, the Cigar Rights of America was born. The Cigar Association of America was always there, but a consumer-driven organization, started by a handful of manufacturers, was uh, created, the Cigar Rights of America, where today it joins with the Cigar Association of America and the IPCPR, the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association, to fight excessive regulation, not only on the federal level, but on the statewide level. And the executive director... Of the Cigar Rights of America, longtime friend joins us from uh, CRA headquarters in Washington, D.C. in the swamp, Glenn Loop. Glenn, greetings. Great to have you on, my friend.
4: Cigar Dave, always a pleasure to be with you. It's always insightful.
1: <laughs> well, the the uh I'd say the pleasure never ends, but it's really the attacks on pleasure seem to never end. Before we get into talking about the latest assault on cigar manufacturers and our rights to enjoy cigars and the age limits. Let's talk about you for a minute. Uh, First of all, (laughs) when did you become a cigar connoisseur?
4: Well, I don't know if I... I definitely didn't begin as a connoisseur, but it really began... I was thinking about this uh, just the other day, but it was about 22 years ago. And uh, my hometown of Roanoke, Virginia, got its uh, first locally-owned premier steakhouse called Frankie Rollins. It's just an amazing steakhouse. It's sort of the the Morton's Del Frisco's, the Capitol Grill, but locally owned and operated, fabulous place. And it's it's physically attached to our local 100-year-old cigar shop. So my wife and I, that you know well, we go into that Frankie Rollins Steakhouse, and the entrance of it was this magnificent, old-school, mahogany-looking bar. And it said, Cigars Welcome." And I looked at it and I just said, this is the kind of place you're supposed to smoke a cigar. And I really had not gotten into it before in my life. But I walked in and I laid eyes on that setting, you know, that as you often put it on your show, that that Sinatra Dean Martin, dark light, old mahogany wood type of setting. And I said, This spot demands a cigar. So I went next door to the to the Milan Tobacconist, the, again, a hundred year old, over a hundred years old now. And I went to the back of the humidor, and, you know, I don't often talk about the cigars I smoke because when you got 65 corporate benefactors, they're all your favorite. But I always talk about my very first one being uh, produced by Ernesto Corella, uh, uh, a Gloria Cubana. I walked in, and I said, that looks like the band of a cigar smoker. So it was purely the optics, the romance, the setting, and it, and it just said this is the way it's supposed to be. You get a glass of scotch, you get a cigar, and you realize this is the way life is supposed to be.
1: And again, not bothering anybody. You're enjoying a cigar and a libation. You're sharing great conversation, great pleasantries, uh, great In a place fellowship. that
4: welcomed us. Yeah, That's right, in a place that welcomed us.
1: That's right. Not bothering anybody. <clears throat> and yet, we've got the enemies of pleasure. So, you enjoy cigars. You became a cigar connoisseur, but you're full-time occupation was, I believe, what, in the Virginia, uh, in politics in Virginia? Right,
4: right. I had my own consulting firm. I had about 17 different clients, uh, trucking, manufacturing, education, chasing pork barrel politics for uh, government expenditures and the like. And one of my clients, because of that local cigar shop, was the Cigar Association of Virginia. And it was purely on uh, a local state senator introduced the first smoking ban bill in Virginia in 2006, and he was local. And I said, how, and it was all personal, had nothing to do with money and lobbying and all that kind of thing. It was personal. It was like, how dare this local state senator put in a bill that could prevent us from smoking a cigar in that steakhouse? And the local shop, we connected with other cigar shops throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia and started the first, one of the first efforts in the country to pull together state retailers to fight off a smoking ban, which was successfully done in 2006. Uh, seven and eight, up until the the beginning of CRA.
1: And so you did that, and then how did you become associated with, because it was before the CRA was created, I know there was about, what, a half a dozen cigar manufacturers that kind of saw that, you know, that that weren't necessarily members, some were members of the Cigar Association of America, but they wanted more of a consumer-centric organization similar to the NRA.
4: Well, that was an interesting transition, because it all, again, revolved around that same cigar shop and that same steakhouse. Uh, in 2008, uh, we brought Rocky Patel in, who I had never met before. Uh, we brought Rocky in to help wine and dine the House Republicans on that smoking ban bill. And we were up at the the Homestead Resort, which I'm sure you've heard of in, in Virginia. Absolutely. At the, great, at the, great at the, resort. So we brought Rocky in, we had all this, the great retailers of Virginia in, uh, trying to get the message across as to why this smoking ban had to, had to die, and we had Rocky as the corporate celebrity, uh, if you will, and his cigars on the front porch there of the homestead, and afterwards, we're, I'm, he asked me if I'd drive him to his event at our local shop, so I'm literally driving him after a weekend up there to a to an event, his first event in Virginia in this part of the woods and uh, he said we're starting this thing do you want to run it <laughs> 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 typical typical rocky fashion of and had no clue what he was talking about and we kind of wrangled back and forth for several months and in late 2008 we uh, struck a deal if you will we were out at the big smoke in in Vegas and we were all talking out there about the future and engaging consumers and really what happened was and you remember this history well, I think your your stand was your broadcast stand was set up in Houston, Texas at what was one of the last RTDAs before it became the IPCPR. It
1: wasn't a stand, Glenn. I mean, it was a, a whole stand- stage and studio. setup. You make it sound studio. like it was, you know, like a little, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like a little uh, 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 a push cart or something.
4: <laughs> it's an elaborate studio, that's for sure, and it, and it ought to still be there, by the way. But uh, but the, you had your mammoth studio up, and but there was this mad scramble at that Houston conference, that Houston tr- uh, trade show, because the first S-chip bill was dropped and no one saw it coming. And the original proposal, as you remember, was $10 per cigar. right? And the the grand political strategy was, after that show was over, people like Christian Aurora and Rocky Patel and George Padron and Jeff Borshowitz from Corona Cigar in Florida, they all immediately went to Washington, and this is the way they put it. Their grand political strategy was to speak to anyone willing to speak to them and they literally were wandering the halls aimlessly in congress and they latched on uh, a friend of the industry was former congressman kendrick Meek of florida he helped set up some meetings and to make a long story short uh, they hooked up with uh, former ways and means committee chairman charlie wrangle who helped wrangle this thing that wrangle this thing down to 40 cents a cigar that it is today but that was really the beginning of a, of a political drive a political mission, if you will, for the premium cigar industry, and obviously things have gotten a lot more sophisticated and, with sophistication, a lot more expensive since that time.
1: So that's how you got, and then you went full
4: time, obviously, with the uh, full time. Uh, really, starting January of two thousand nine is really when we uh, pinpoint the, the the royal beginning, and there were sixteen hundred people in the database and and less than ninety thousand dollars in the bank, and. In, in a decade, and we can go back through this, but in a decade now, it's been 10 years, $10 million, uh, a very expensive $3.5 million lawsuit, and a federal effort that has really taken the uh, advocacy efforts, and it's not just us, but with our brethren at IPCPR and the like, it's it's taken our advocacy efforts for the industry to another level.
1: Yeah, and we'll get into some of the specifics about uh, the government on the uh, the lawsuits and what's going on in the FDA and states. So it's been 10 years that CRA, Cigar Rights of America, has been around. And, you know, it's not easy because I don't care what the organization is, whether you've got 10 people, 20 people, 40 people. I always say, no matter what the industry, whether it's broadcasting, cigars, transportation, any association group, you get 20 board members 20 people together you're going to have 38 opinions mm. it's very very difficult because everybody's got some disparate opinions and sometimes they forget that the enemy is not within the enemy is the regulators it is the tax man it is uncle sam it is the states And that's a very difficult uh you know it's, it's always hard to manage that many people but you've done a nice job doing it maybe it's the bow tie oh. glenn
4: Nah <laughs> well, I <I'll> tell you <laughs> what—it really comes down to the conviction of of a lot of leadership within this industry that it, it demands a different political day. As you well know, and you talk about it every single week. The nanny state is alive and well, and I never cease to be amazed by the creativity of our opposition. And I'm not just talking about the Michael Bloomberg's of the world. That's well, how about a piece of legislation this year in Hawaii where, by law, it would say you have to be one hundred—you have to be one hundred years old. To purchase tobacco, or the letter I just wrote this morning, literally to the mayor of Beverly Hills, where they want to be the first city in America to ban the sale of all tobacco. Um, you could go up and down the uh, the line across the country. The creativity of our opposition in the nanny state is alive and well, and uh, the leadership of our board of directors uh, and a lot of industry leadership have recognized that they've got to do something different. Uh, you know, too many of them thought that this type of political environment would never happen to them, that everything was you know, cozy, that, that we're not big tobacco, we're more like the wine industry, uh, we're a celebratory product, local family-owned entrepreneurs, whether you're a cigar shop or a boutique manufacturer. But, but lo and behold, the opposition has crept up behind us and and now if you read that final deeming rule that the FDA put out, there was a great effort to say that there's absolutely no difference between a great premium handmade cigar and a, and a pack of cigarettes.
1: No question about it. And Theo Foles, the former C- president CEO of Al- Consolidated Cigar and then Altatus USA, told me, he said, you got to remember one thing, General. It makes no difference that we're cigars because in the eyes of the Washington bureaucrats, And the Washington politicians and the state politicians, to them, tobacco is tobacco is tobacco. And I always say that if this were to be, if the assault on cigars were taking place on the wine industry, you would have every single California representative led by Nancy Pelosi saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't have all this excess regulation. This is a very big industry. We can't allow that to happen. Luckily, we have Florida, which is really the cigar state. We've got great representatives and senators that really understand the importance of cigars to the state, and they've stepped up. But the problem is, is that cigars have always been considered to be, well, it's like an afterthought, but they tend to lump cigars in with cigarettes and big tobacco. And we know, with the exception of a couple of large companies, the cigar industry is primarily a family-owned industry.
4: Well, that's exactly right. And Florida is the epicenter of the entire economic footprint of the premium cigar industry, beginning with that port of, of Miami. But the industry uses every single port in the state of Florida. And the logistics, the supply chain, the retail channels, the corporate offices that exist between Fort Lauderdale to Miami and north to Tampa and Naples— um, really symbolizes what this industry means to, to the state. It's one of the reasons we recently uh, solicited and, and uh, released a, a report on the economic impact of these federal regulations that we'll t- talk about soon. But up to 25,000 jobs nationwide or exist. Most of those are in the state of Florida. 3,500 manufacturing jobs. And when we say manufacturing jobs, we include the corporate headquarters operations in that equation by the economic calculus. And, and showing 3,500 manufacturing jobs at risk, including uh, over to the to J.C. Newman factory in, in Tampa and a lot of other small ones that we'll chat about soon. But then also the, what the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania means to this industry in terms of distribution channels uh, as well as farms, Connecticut farms. Uh, the logistics, the supply chain channels are, cannot be uh, overstated in terms of what these regulations mean to this industry. But uh, Florida, given its political standing, makes it all the more significant. Obviously, Senator Rubio came out with S-9, uh, premium cigar exemption legislation, the day after he was sworn in. Literally, he was sworn in on Thursday, January 3rd. He dropped the bill on the 4th with a collection of bipartisan senators, Uh, and we look forward to um, acclimating Senator Scott, your new U.S. senator, to this issue, what it means to the state, following up on discussions we had with him when he was governor, so... Uh, it'll be a strong coalition from from Pennsylvania to Florida for this legislation, but then it's going to be uh, nationwide here very soon.
1: Well, I know Governor Scott very well, and I can tell you he definitely understands the importance of the cigar industry to Florida. He is, uh, I believe, he's toured the JC Newman factory. I believe he's been there. Yeah, and and he is very familiar. In fact, I've got a picture of. Of uh, the go- When he was governor, this has got to be about uh, maybe three, four years ago, right around the holidays, we took a picture in the governor's mansion. I was up there for lunch with him, and I had a cigar. I had a diamond crown in my hand, and he's like, yeah, no problem. Take the picture with the cigar. So he, even though he doesn't smoke cigars, he understands the importance. And he is very pro-business. He's very pro- pro-Florida, obviously, in the industries that are important to Florida. So he will be an ally, I'm sure, on the cigar industry's behalf. We're talking with Glenn Loop, Executive Director of the Cigar Rights of America. Glenn, last week we saw a Hawaiian representative come up with a proposal to increase the tobacco purchase age from first 18 to 21. Then I think it was 21 to, I think, Thirty, then thirty to fifty, then fifty to eighty, and eighty to a hundred within five years. And he's like, yeah. "I'm not gonna." I'm, he said, I, "I'm not trying to to prohibit smoking. I'm I'm just I'm just trying to make it a little bit tougher for people to purchase, and maybe it'll help people quit." I'm sorry, that is de facto prohibition, and it's sure. gotten to the point where in Beverly, Beverly Hills last week now they want to make it totally illegal to sell any forms of tobacco product within the city limits of Beverly Hills. Forget the FDA for a second, this is outright prohibition and a violation of the Interstate Commerce Clause of the Constitution.
4: Well, the states and the localities are the incubators for tobacco control. It's where these creative thoughts, and as I mentioned earlier, I never cease to be amazed by the creativity of our opposition, but right now there's over 13 issues uh, in states across the country that are, are disastrous for anybody that enjoys a premium handmade cigar. You just pointed out the two most creative of the year, I think. The proposal in Beverly Hills to say no tobacco sales whatsoever, which affects places like the Grand Havana Room in Beverly Hills or great cigar shops like Nazareth in, in, uh, in Beverly Hills, to the Hawaiian proposal, which is, <laughs> you nailed it, progressive Prohibition, let's put it that way, because it's like a 30 year plan to say we'll be a tobacco free state.
1: Well, I call it incrementalism. The enemies That's of right. pleasure started with very modest goals, like we just want to eliminate smoking in buildings. And then when they were done with that, I said they're like a cockroach, they get their foot in the door. Then what happened in California? All these restaurants really it spent a good amount of money on capital expenditure to create nice covered patios where people could enjoy their cigars. What happened? They said, nope, now we want to go after smoking in outdoor patios. Then they went after golf courses and sidewalks and beaches. It doesn't end. And they always use it under the guise of, well, it's litter because we see all these cigarette butts. We know most of that is not true, but what we're seeing is progressive uh, incrementalism. And it's to a point now, Glenn, where they're not even hiding the fact Beverly Hills is a perfect example. It is a just out and out prohibition.
4: You got to put it in this context, too, because I, I just moderated a panel at the TPE show, the Tobacco Plus Expo show in Vegas, with a collection of retailers, Michael Fry from Monte Cristo and, and Casa Fuente, uh, and and Jeff Borshowitz, uh, Rick Baker from from Tobacco Grove in Minnesota. And we were talking about these issues. And I said, you know, you, you and I can laugh almost, almost laugh at the idiocy of a proposal to say in, you have to be 100 to purchase tobacco and you're going to do it over a 30-year period or to ban the sale and, and of all tobacco products in Beverly Hills. But you and I know all it takes is one Mayor de Blasio or one former Mayor Bloomberg to get a hold of an idea like that, and all of a sudden it becomes a national agenda for tobacco control de Blasio would hear that proposal or you know how Monterey, California bans smoking in cigar shops and go, what a great idea, let's do it here. That's how bad public policy spreads. You know, Bloomberg's putting a billion dollars into a global agenda of his own making, and all he has to do is to hear Hawaii say we're going to go tobacco-free in 30 years, and he'll say let's make that our international agenda. That's how bad ideas spread, and that's how bad ideas become public policy.
1: Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America. Together we shall battle the enemies of pleasure. The enemies of cigar will continue our conversation, continue the battle around the corner.
0: The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. General's warning. Listening to Cigar Dave talk about the F-U-D-A will cause you anger, and you'll want to overthrow the career bureaucrats. Long live the Alpha.
1: Those of you that are members of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, good news. Your February 2019 selection featuring the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro has shipped Drew Estate master blender Willie Herrera, who I've known for a long time going back to the El Titan de Bronze days down in Little Havana, always been a big fan of the Brazilian Matafina tobacco. It just has a nice taste, a nice texture to it. It's mostly been used as a binder or accent filler at Drew Estate, but Willie flipped the script. He said, I'm going to make the Brazilian Matafina tobacco the star of the show. I'm going to make it the wrapper, and then what I'm going to do, is surround that, or or have the wrapper surround a Connecticut Broadleaf binder for some sweetness and some lush Nicaraguan fillers to produce a full-flavored, exquisite taste experience. It is a beautiful cigar, and those of you that are members of the Officers Club, they are coming your way. Medium to full-flavored cigar, but very, very smooth. Just a nice bit of sweetness between the Connecticut Broadleaf and the Brazilian Matafina wrapper. Coming your way, three different sizes. If you are not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club every month, if you become a member, you get three fantastic cigars shipped in an Officers Club pouch directly to you. It's wonderful, there's no long-term commitments. If you like a variety of tastes, the Officers Club is perfect. If you only want mild-bodied or only medium-bodied or only Maduro cigars, don't become a member of the Officers Club. But if you want a nice variety, expand your palate, expand your taste horizons, Go to CigarDave.com right now. Sign up, $22.95 per month. You will get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. We welcome back Glenn Loop, the Executive Director of the Cigar Rights of America. Glenn, let's talk about the federal regulation. This goes back to initially 2009 when the Family Smoking Prevention Act was signed into law by Barack Obama. And initially, it was only... To go after cigarettes. But there was a provision in that act that down the road, the Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services, or uh, Health and Human Services, should they desire, could then expand this to cigars. They could deem cigars to be part of this act, and it didn't take very long. About five years later, Obama went right after it, and uh, that's when it was uh, signed into law, or, or the, who's it, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the secretary, Catherine Sibelius hmm. signed that. Uh, basically, tell us the whole process, how that worked, and how we got to where we are today.
4: Well, they originally threatened to regulate cigars almost 12 months after the president President Obama signed the Tobacco Control Act. I mean, it didn't take long at all to start posting the threats, and that's what they were, threats. To, to regulate going back to 2010, 12 months after, after the act was signed. So we, that's when the proactive measures to engage Congress really began with Congressman Posey and Congresswoman Castor, and now over, over the course of the last eight years, over 289 members of the House of Representatives have voiced support for that type of an exemption. But uh, I'll never forget it. It was like nine o'clock on a May morning in, in Indianapolis. We were doing the cigars and doing a fun uh, a consumer drive with the National Rifle Association in Indianapolis, and we woke up to the Deeming Rule being posted out. And they, I call it, you know, Velcro politics. Throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And they threw everything in the book at us. They did. They went to great pains to, like I said earlier, to equate a, a great cigar with a pack of cigarettes and their obsession with nicotine. Uh, it, it was a disastrous moment because we thought there would be some type of mitigated approach to, to cigars at that time. Uh, then the final rule came out and they kept it intact. And that's just been the modus operandi for this agency from the beginning. You, ca- you called it best in our last segment. You know, incremental prohibition. Uh, no, we're not going to ban your product, but we're going to make it so bloody difficult for you to produce it, uh, too expensive for you to comply, that you're going to wish you were out of the business. That's their approach. That's the regulatory approach. And and in that period of time, I think we've worked to get our message across as to why we should be treated differently. And we can chat about this, but the the first gift, if you will, from the Trump administration was reopening a public comment purely on the question of premium handmade cigars. And that came about for one reason and one reason only. Uh, We worked with the Senate delegation that's supportive of our cause. And during Dr. Gottlieb's confirmation process, they worked to get that message across that if you get this job, something different has to be done for premium cigars. Reopening that comment and then us filing that comment on July 25th of last year, uh, 529 pages of data on how we are, are different and unique from a health perspective, a youth access question, demographics, usage, uh, was really the, the the grandest opening volley gift that the Trump administration could have granted us.
1: And that was Marco Rubio. We played the audio where he was very, very <clears throat> uh, vociferous and very vocal about exactly that cigars need to be on a different track, and Gottlieb understood that. And what's interesting is Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who is the, the uh, head of the FDA, commissioner of the FDA, on August 16, 2012, in the New York Post, he wrote an op-ed entitled mm-hmm. Bam's Cigar Trouble, where he basically said that the deeming of cigars uh, really is, uh, was excessive and that it's really enjoyed by adults. I mean, all the, all the, the, the points that the industry makes, and he basically said that it's ridiculous. It is. He, it is. He, it, it, he it's, said it's, there
4: should be higher priorities.
1: Absolutely. And then Scott Gottlieb gets in, and to a degree, there wasn't too much movement. There was a little concern, correct?
4: Well, that's right. And, you know, I think that uh, Mitch Zeller, excuse me, head of the uh, Center for Tobacco Products, is still driving this train to a large degree.
1: Is the Trump administration now is running... The administration is in charge. With the victor go the spoils. So you now have an, a, a, a Trump appointee as the secretary of HHS, the commissioner of the FDA. How is it that a bureaucrat, and it's kind of like the deep state, he's a deep state uh, bureaucrat and a definite zealot. That's why I call him Mitch Zealot. How is it that this Mitch Zeller is allowed to drive the, the, the bus? I, I don't
4: understand that. Well, we're asking ourselves that same question. I mean, on the one hand, we're thankful that the public comment period was reopened on premium handmade cigars. Uh, We're also thankful, and this is really the second uh, good positive piece of the puzzle from the Trump administration, is that just before the holidays, the president's unified regulatory agenda was issued, and it put cigar questions really on a long-term status. Well, that shows that they're not really in a hurry to, to clobber us with a lot of new rules or implementation of existing piece of the regulatory process, uh, but it still leaves that looming cloud over the industry's head, and that's what needs to go away. You've mentioned some of them, but really the most disastrous piece of this puzzle right now that affects the market of premium handmade cigars is that that process of substantial equivalence and pre-market approval. It's ridiculous that the great manufacturers that support your show and support this industry... Uh, if they change the wrapper, the binder, or the filler on a cigar that they would have to go through, so, through some excruciating and expensive federal approval process before they could ever put that all-natural product on the shelf. And that's got to go. If there's no chemical manipulation of the product, no intentional manipulation of nicotine, which as you and I know is an absolutely ridiculous, preposterous thought, it's all about flavor and enjoyment. If you get a unique tobacco afforded to you by some of our you know, tobacco-growing friends and say, listen, this tobacco has been sitting in our warehouse for 20 years. We think it would make a unique cigar. It's all natural. It's been aged. Let's make a great cigar out of it. No. The bureaucrats are saying you have to go through this excruciating federal approval process before you could ever put it on onto the market. It could cost seven digits just to go through the process much less the legal fees and the consulting fees and the testing fees and all down the line. Again, they're not banning it, but they're making it bloody difficult to ever, ever put a new cigar on the shelf.
1: Yeah, it really is is incredible. And not only uh, if a manufacturer comes out with a cigar, a new blend, for example, if they have eight sizes, it affects That's every right. one of those eight sizes. And they don't eat... My understanding, Glenn, and correct me if I'm wrong, there is not a method... The, the FDA now requires for cigarettes, and they want it for cigars, where every chemical within a cigarette or a cigar must be tested. So you have an ingredients list. Now, we know it's 100% cigar tobacco. That's it. But they now want it tested for various components and chemicals. My understanding is it doesn't even exist. This machinery does not. and testing equipment doesn't exist for the cigar industry.
4: It doesn't, and we've got this looming deadline of November of this year before testing is supposed to be done on all these cigars. You nailed it when you said it's by skew. It's by size. Uh, If a cigar comes in five different sizes, that's five different applications, which is absolutely absurd. Uh, That clearly needs to go away. The testing mandate needs to go away. The pre-market approval of new blends uh, needs to go away. Uh, I read the, the requirements for the environmental impact environmental impact statement that a cigar manufacturer would have to file, and you would think we're trying to uh, license a new coal-fired power plant with the stuff that would be required to submit to the agency. So you think about, much less the, the larger manufacturers that, that we're all familiar with, but think about those that are just a few blocks from your house. Those in Ybor City on 7th Avenue. Uh, you think about Yanko there at Tobacco Nero, Right next door, Odelma, uh, Laferrana. I hope I, I hope I pronounce her right, uh, but two rollers, five rollers, seven rollers at any given time making a blend a day, a blend a week. How would small entrepreneurs like that ever comply with this type of federal mandate? And that's our message, to that uh, Senator Ribio and Senator Scott and the rest of the Florida delegation need to carry uh, to the Trump administration.
1: Well, the good news is that uh, Senator Rubio has been very, very proactive. And there's been other senators as well that have been active. And this really is a bipartisan effort because there are Democrat and Republican members of the House and Senate that have signed on to this. And I know that this bill has been reintroduced in every single uh, congressional session. Where does it stand now, Glenn? We've got the sponsors, but it doesn't seem to get that final oomph whereby the FDA (coughs) could not use any of their funds to regulate cigars?
4: Well, and first of all, before I answer that, uh, I want to mention somebody like Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who's probably got three or four cigar shops in the entire state, who's become an amazing champion uh, for this cause and, uh, and really added a bipartisan element to, to Senator Ribio's messaging. But uh, the heart of your question is, is very valid. This legislation has served as a mouthpiece, as a platform for communicating our message to the administration, both Obama and to the Trump administration. Um, We've come dangerously close. After the first year of this, we hit the magic number of 221 working majority of the House of Representatives. Last year, the exemption language, along with changing the predicate date language, passed in an appropriations bill with the House of Representatives. And the Senate has always been a stumbling block. I've been very public about this. As you well know in the rules, it only takes one senator to cause a train wreck. And there's a strong coalition of violently anti-tobacco members of the, of the United States Senate who will block and tackle every single measure that has to do with tobacco. And they do a, a magical job of totally misrepresenting what the product truly is. They immediately go and try to equate us with, with cigarettes and mass market and on down the line and how we're evil and we're killing everybody. Nothing could be further from the truth. But it doesn't stop the rhetoric. I've read these letters, and, and all of our industry trade associations read these letters from our opposition, and we just sit in stunned silence as to the things that are put in writing that are just nothing further from the truth. So really it's been a, a blocking effort in the Senate, but that has not stopped the legislation from being a voice to that given administration. It did help in some to some degree with the Obama administration when when pro-cigar Democrats were voicing those types of concerns to that administration. More so right now, allies of the Trump administration in Congress are using this legislation as a way to communicate our message. And let's keep in mind, over the last eight years, 289 members of the House of Representatives and 26 members of the United States Senate have signed on to such a bill. 72 of those voted for the original Tobacco Control Act. That means our message is getting across that we are nothing more than unintended consequences of the original Tobacco Control Act.
1: Well, as it stands right now, on the federal level, there is a lawsuit in conjunction. You've got the legislation going on in the Congress. You're still you know, mm-hmm. working, obviously, the FDA, but there's been multiple lawsuits uh, that are filed. Give us an update on the lawsuit end of things, Glenn, because for most people, they have no clue – and they're not really in tune, because to them, they go in, they get their favorite cigar, and that's it. But all of a sudden, if people say, hey, wait a minute, how come I can't get that cigar that I love? How come that cigar that used to cost me $7 now cost me $10? These are items that a consumer eventually, it'll catch up to them. So where does the, I know there's a lawsuit going on. Where exactly does that stand?
4: Well, the lawsuit was originally filed in 2016. We had our first hearing in December of 2017. And in May of the, of 18, Judge Amit Maida of D.C. Circuit Court issued a stay on the implementation of the warning label requirement on, on cigar boxes, which is one of the most absurd pieces of the regulatory puzzle. You look at the front of a carton of cigarettes, there is no warning label. Yet this requirement would put 30% on the top of those ornate artisan cigar boxes, 30% of the f- of top – of the front, 20% of the inside of a cigar box. So we were sitting there in in federal court when this occurred. And frankly, the timing could not have been more perfect. The judge basically looked out and said, so let me get this right. You're going to reopen the comment period on these regulations, and you might change them. But yet, we're supposed to force this industry to comply with millions of dollars worth of packaging changes requirements when you might change them? And that was a magical moment in that entire process. And subsequently, the judge issued a stay on the implementation of that piece of the rule. Subsequently, this week, there's been appeals filed to advance this stay. There's also going to be litigation that I don't want to chat about too much, but that will be filed uh, regarding those testing requirements that are looming over the industry's head in November. So our litigation team is is working feverishly to use the courts, to use the negotiations with the FDA and the Justice Department to mitigate the the worst parts of this regulation. Uh, It's an expensive part of the process, but that stay alone saved this industry millions of dollars in packaging changes. But we need to institutionalize it. We need to make it permanent. We need to have the Trump administration get rid of that substantial equivalence and pre-market approval requirement. We need to have the Trump administration modify this, this approach to the warning labels. Uh, we need to have the Trump administration get rid of these absurd testing requirements. And that's part of the messaging now to specific parts of, of the administration that is really the obsession coupled with using Congress to, to serve as our, our mouthpiece for those, uh, those agenda items.
1: And that substantial equivalent requirement, let me explain that very quickly to our alphas that are listening and connoisseurs. That means that a cigar manufacturer, if they come up with a new blend, has to be able to prove that the blend is similar in every way, shape, or form to an existing blend. Well, good luck with that. Everything there's nuances and changes Essentially, that would eradicate any new cigar blends coming out. So if some sort of new cigar wrapper, a hybrid wrapper was created, manufacturers would not be allowed to use that. It is absurd. That's like telling a vineyard, a winery, you have to be. You, any of your new wines have to be exactly like your old wines. You can't create a new blend, even if it is the same grape, but grown in a different, uh, different farm with different climate. You could not release that to the market, and it is absurd. We will wrap it up the final concluding segment with Glenn Loop, executive director of the Cigar Rights of America, and this edition of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. <laughs>
0: The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. This cigar from Drew Estate has a floral and earthy Brazilian Matafina Maduro wrapper that surrounds a sweet Connecticut broadleaf binder and lush Nicaraguan fillers that together produce a full-flavored, exquisite experience. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club.
2: Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're
0: a beginner, or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar, like I do, in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth,
1: The Cigar Dave Show is available 24-7, 365 via the Cigar Dave mobile app for Android, iPhone, as well as Amazon Kindle. You don't need to be in front of a radio. You just need to have your mobile device ready to go. And you can listen to me take on the enemies of pleasure, talk about the alpha male good life as we talk cigars, spirits, diversions, grilling, Go and download the Cigar Dave mobile app presented by Diamond Crown. Never miss a minute of the Cigar Dave show with the Cigar Dave mobile app. Glenn Loop, Executive Director, of Cigar Rights of America, our guest in the waning moments of this edition of the Cigar Dave show. Glenn, we talked about the federal regulations. There's about 13 states right now that have some sort of state taxation or regulation. Uh, we talked about Hawaii. They want to raise the smoke, uh, the uh, tobacco purchasing age eventually to 100. But let's talk about some of the other states very quickly, the key states.
4: Very quickly. Uh, Arizona, which has a huge concentration of retail tobacconists, uh, has a Senate bill that would bring about a public referendum that would increase the, the tax on cigars by 43%. Colorado, uh, a a ban on smoking in cigar shops, as well as a piece of legislation that would give local governments greater control than the state over tobacco ordinances. Connecticut, a positive bill that would expand the number of cigar bar licenses available in the state. Negative bill that's always introduced in Florida, but you never know when it's going to get any political traction, is the proposed ban on on beach smoking or allow local governments to regulate that. A positive bill in Hawaii that would bring about a 50-cent tax cap and that similar bill has been introduced in the state of Nebraska. There's a tax increase proposal in Iowa. Uh, there's a proposal that would allow cigar shops in Maine to serve alcohol, which always is a good thing. As I like well that. as a bill, and you'll love the bill. And it might be a reason to go to North Dakota—a bill to allow for cigar bars in North Dakota. I would go out to North Dakota for a cigar bar if they I, opened one. I like one.
1: that. Real <laughs> quickly, Glenn, in 15 seconds, cigarrights.org. How much does it cost to join?
4: new rate, $25. Cigar Dave, we can't thank you enough for your support. And all this legislation is on our our website. The petitions make it easy. Put in your name and zip code, and we take care of the rest.
1: We've got a link at cigardave.com. You should all join. For your rights to enjoy cigars. Glenn Loop, Executive Director, CRA, we appreciate you joining us. Cigar Dave, the General, say Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. And screw the enemies of pleasure and screw the FDA.